I went from having no medical or physical me mental problems to suddenly having cancer, and it was it was just jarring. Welcome to the Depression Files, where we talk about everything related to mental health, from depression and other mental illnesses to medication to suicide awareness and prevention to our current mental health system, and of course, to the stigma that surrounds mental illnesses. We educate those who may know little about mental illnesses while giving hope to those who may be suffering. I'm your host, Al Levin, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to The Depression Files. Hey, I'm excited tonight. I have Justin Burkbickler on the line here. Justin um, is a men's health activist, testicular cancer survivor, an educational technology coach, and the founder of a ballsy sense of tumor.com. Justin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me here, Al. It's yeah. always a it's always a pleasure. I'm so excited. So um just uh, for a little history for the listeners, Justin and I met um, last April at um, Healthy Voices Conference, and that was how I met a few other people that I've interviewed, so people may have heard about it, but uh, a, a whole conference put on by Janssen Pharmaceutical for online advocates of all types of chronic illnesses, and Justin, you were there um, as a representative of those with cancer, right? Right, yeah, testicular cancer, one of two testicular cancer advocates, so we were two balls in one sack. Two balls in one sack, and as people will find out or have already quickly, that uh, a lot of your advocacy uh, involves humor. Yeah, it's a, it's a good way to stay on the ball with raising awareness about testicular cancer. <laughs> so, you know, actually, that might be my very first question. What uh, What is it about bringing humor into your work of advocacy what what's important about that yeah so um testicular cancer i'm going to drop another pun here there's going to be a bunch sprinkled throughout <laughs> talking right. about um testicular cancers it can often be a tough nut to crack um because it is a very sensitive topic because you know testicles are something that are quite literally very near and dear uh to many men and it's you can't always go up and be like, hey, I want to talk about your testicular health. But if you open with a joke or a personal story or a pun or whatever, it puts people at ease. And that's a good way then to deliver the message. So I found that kind of leading with humor uh, then leads into the more serious discussions. And that's what I the goal is for me. Right. Yeah, I think you and what was the the other gentleman's name? Uh, Kyle Smith of Check 15. Yeah, so Kyle was great too. And both of you guys add a lot of humor into your advocacy work. And I think it's fantastic. It's And maybe it's just something I'm jealous of because as an advocate around mental illness and depression, there's not a ton of jokes I can do. I do uh, typically when I'm out tweeting and such, I oftentimes I'll add a little uh, humorous gift to my tweets and stuff that are actually really pretty serious um, tweets but I feel like the, the humor kind of grabs someone's attention or makes it a little lighter when you're putting out some like really scary stats and information and such. Yeah, I agree. And that's one thing that I've noticed uh, when I start, first started following you on Twitter was how you, um, I'm going to disagree, I pronounce it as Jeff, but you're, you're entitled to your opinion. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I, um, 
Yeah, I think that's a really good way. And like you said, it is it is hard to bring humor into mental health. And the posts I've written about my own um, journeys with mental health, they definitely have a more somber and serious tone because the last thing you want to do is when you talk about topic just as, as serious as mental health, um, you don't want to, you know, it's a very fine line to skate. Right. You know, you impressed me immediately when I first met you. I think the first way I met you was having an iPad shoved right at me with a <laughs> uh, a survey. But it was fantastic. I mean, you got right down to it. And can you tell us a little bit about your survey around testicular cancer that you've been uh, putting out? Yeah. So uh, a couple of weeks before Healthy Voices, a former colleague had texted me and was asking me, when doctors should start discussing testicular exams with, you know, teenagers. And so the general recommendation is 15 years old. So I thought she was asking on behalf of her younger son, who's turning 13 this year, but turns out she was actually talking about her 18 year old son. And I was just kind of flabbergasted that, you know, he's three years into when doctors should have been talking about this. So I decided to survey just as many guys as I could possibly get my hands on. And just ask them three very simple questions. Did your doctor uh, examine your testicles at your last physical? Did he talk about how to do a self-exam? And did he talk about or how frequently to do a self-exam? And what I ended up surveying uh, over 550 guys over three months. And my findings were that about 51% of the guys said yes, their doctor did do uh, a physical exam of their testicles. And, but then 78% of the guys said that their doctor did not talk about how to do a self-exam. And then 11% said that their doctor told them how frequently to do it. Um, and it was, it was really eye-opening talking to the guys about that because a lot of them had never even heard of the concept of a self-exam. So it lended itself really well into leading into, you know, here's how to do a self-exam. You know, I obviously didn't like pull down my pants and show them how to do it right, <laughs> right. on the spot. They um, may have kicked you out of the conference had you done that approach. Yeah, you know, <laughs> they told me not to. Um, but it was, it was, it's just a quick thing that I, I have just, like I have it saved in my phone as text. I have on my website, I have video, I have pictures, I have verbal ways that I describe it. And it, quite honestly, it takes longer to explain how to do a self-exam than to physically actually do a self-exam. Right. Yeah, I remember just being, I mean, the same word you used, flabbergasted by my own responses and the fact that um, I've, I know that I've never been spoken to by a doctor about testicular cancer, about a self-exam, or anything. And it also did um, really lend itself well when you gave me that survey to a conversation, because I remember just firing off some questions at you right away um, it, because it was so shocking to me. Yeah. And that's, you know, that that's the goal is I don't, I don't want it to come off as I'm attacking doctors. Um, I was actually just at a, a conference, a health, uh, health, uh, health and physical activity Institute yesterday presenting about some of these findings and some of the other advocacy work and so there were a bunch of educators who uh, specifically teach health and family life. And they said, you know, I'm not really surprised because the doctor's job at that moment is to uh, take care of the patient while they're in there seeking active care. And then it's our job as educators to, you know, help teach the, the whole child. And so that was, 
it was really cool seeing, um, and that's a major initiative I've been working on, is developing resources to help educate high school students. So eventually, you know, this becomes more commonplace just across the country and across the world. Yeah, that's awesome. I would imagine doctors have a ton to go through and they have their little 20 minute time slot. And I, I think it's good how you've put it out there as it's not about bashing doctors, but it's about educating doctors and the, and men and, and boys and in general. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And big shout out to my own personal pediatrician, my uh, family care doctor, both of them, I credit, especially my pediatrician to basically saving my life. Cause if he had not reinforced the importance of self-exam and taught me how to do it, we might not be having this conversation today. Um, so, you know, that's, that's something that has, you know, it's sometimes it's awkward to talk about testicular health, but it's, I see it as I could be quite literally saving a life. Right. So I know, like, I know you also have gone through a couple of bouts of depression and I really want to get into that before we do though. Uh, could you just kind of bottom line your, uh, kind of path through cancer um, yeah. Because I do think it is really important for people to understand, and uh, I think it's an important conversation as well. Right. So um, I was in October of 2016. I was doing just one of my routine self exams, and I noticed that there was a lump on my left testicle that hadn't been there the month previous because I did do them monthly, which is the recommendation. And so I called a doctor. The doctor. Uh, did an exam. She sent me off for a ultrasound. The ultrasound sent me off to a urologist and the urologist said, Hey, um, there's no easy way to say this, but you have cancer. And so he, and not only did I have cancer, I needed emergency surgery to remove the entire testicle because with testicular cancer, it's a very curable cancer, but it's also very aggressive cancer. So luckily I had caught it pretty early on they removed the testicle, they did some scans, they realized that it had spread to my lymph nodes. So I needed 10 weeks of chemotherapy uh, to eradicate that. And luckily, it was successful. And as of I, my most recent scans were uh, just a couple weeks ago in mid June. Uh, so I'm still in remission now. That's, you know, the long and short of it um, bumps along the way before, during, and after treatment. I'm all, and this is going to lead into the second part of what we're talking about is I'm actually finding that fighting cancer was kind of the easy part and surviving cancer is what's been more uh, difficult mentally and emotionally. Right, right. What was that like at age 25? First of all, when you found a lump, did your mind go straight to, oh shit, I've got cancer? Or were you thinking, ah, I'll just go in and get it checked. It's not going to be a big deal. Yeah. Well, I, I always had it in my mind that it was going to be cancer. Um, there was just a little voice in the back of my head that was saying, you know, this, this isn't good. At, at that point, I wasn't as well versed in all the st statistics about testicular cancer as I am now. Um, but I just, I just had a feeling. And so it w what was kind of interesting to me was the original doctor kind of played it off as, you know, it could be an infection. She prescribed me an antibiotic as like a safety measure, but she did then reinforce me for the or the ultrasound. And every time I got referred to another doctor, it got more and more real. And I got to tell you, even though I had this inkling that it was cancer, there's a huge difference between 
being a 25 year old guy thinking you have cancer to a urologist telling you you have cancer and there's no there's no way to prepare for that and so even though i thought i was prepared i i totally wasn't and it wasn't necessarily even having cancer or like the words having cancer it was the fact that they were going to be removing one of my testicles entirely is what really upset me at that time because that was you know it's like a direct physical manifestation of your masculinity and so that was hard for me to come to grips with but eventually obviously i write about it constantly so i came to terms with it yeah yeah that must uh i can't imagine just hearing those words and like you said you felt like you were kind of prepared and then you realized when you heard it that really you weren't yeah i mean it's you it, you don't know until you know is the, the best way that I always um, I, I honestly hope nobody listening ever has to be on that side of the conversation because it's you know it's not a lesson you want to learn firsthand. Did it feel a bit surreal, like not even happening? Yeah, it was because um, it it just from when I the when I met with the first doctor to when they told me I had cancer was about six days. Uh, I hadn't even been to the doctor in since 2014, so about two years before this. So I went from having no medical or physical me- mental problems to suddenly having cancer, and it was it was just jarring. It was like, is is this real life? Um, and unfortunately, it was. Well, and not only did you not have any major medical concerns at that point, but I believe I read in one of your posts that you had just ran a marathon. Yeah, I had, um, it wasn't quite a marathon. It was like a Spartan run, like a Tough Mudder type thing with, uh, uh, but yeah, it was, um, it was like the middle of September. I ran one of those. I I felt perfectly fine. Um, aside from the lump and that, that's, that was the scariest part is had I not done a self exam, there was nothing else telling me that I was very, very sick. Yeah. I would imagine that's, that's got to be a big piece of your advocacy, I would think. Um, just the fact that you were getting sick and it had already started to spread, as you mentioned. Yeah, it's it's just it's it's hard to put into words because I I thought I had caught it pretty quickly because I was you know on the ball with checking uh, regularly, and you know from September there was nothing, and then October there was. I don't know if you know just in the you know maybe the tumor started developing like literally the day after right i had done a um a check in september but it was you know luckily it's still very curable i'm obviously here today uh but yeah it, it was just a very surreal process is the best way to describe it yeah well i'm so glad uh, that your recent scans have come out clean it sounds like you're doing great around the uh, aspect of cancer yeah absolutely it's it's been a physically everything's always on the upswing yeah fantastic and then as far as depression goes i know i was lucky enough to be able to post a piece that you wrote um that was fantastic and it talked about one of your first experiences with depression which was in high school yeah um so it was uh so my i think sophomore junior year i can't remember i should probably just go pull up the draft and figure out when exactly it was but um it was and from from the outside everything looked fine like i have 
my parents are very are great parents. They've been married the whole time they've to each other um, their whole time. They've provided pretty much anything I ever asked for. I have a very loving family. I did very well in school. I was in my mind, I was more athletic than I really was. Uh, but you know, everything out from the outside looked looked good. But I just had this extreme feeling of dislike towards myself and just I felt so lethargic all the time and just I had no interest in in really doing anything and I I just couldn't couldn't figure out really why I was feeling this way because like I said I should have for all intents and purposes I should have been okay um and I think that was a a thing that was hard to come to terms with is I had no reason to feel depressed, but I still was feeling very, very depressed. When you say you had kind of lack of interest and such prior to this, were you involved with school activities and such? And then those were some of the pieces that you just suddenly found yourself losing interest in? Yeah, I was, I was involved in some sports and I don't remember which one, came first if it was the depression then I stopped doing sports or if I stopped doing the sports and then I started noticing depression but I just remember I would you know go to school and I'd come home and do nothing and I wouldn't want to do anything I would just literally want to sit and play on my computer or just surf the web for hours and hours on end um and I I just I didn't want to do anything else I just wanted to basically sit there and veg out and but that wasn't even making me happy doing that like nothing seemed to bring me happiness at the time while you were at school were you able to kind of wear that mask of hey i'm all right i'm I'm getting by or do you think people were noticing your changes in mood and demeanor oh i was absolutely able to put on that mask um i you know, jumping forward a little bit in the story, once I realized that there was an issue when I started seeing a therapist, uh, I, you know, I'd leave school once or twice a week to go to therapy. And people were asking me, like, you don't, like, what kind of doctor are you going to? Like, nobody ever suspected that I was having, like, a, a mental health problem. Um, because I, I could put on a game face. And I kind of, at that time, been uh, high school. I was kind of keeping myself in general, so it didn't seem like I had become withdrawn. But I, I could, you know, put on a smile and put on a mask uh, throughout the day as needed. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it really resonated with me. It was an interesting piece of your writing where you essentially made it sound like you had to make sure you took that mask off at home so that your mom or someone in the family would realize that you are really having a tough time. And it, it almost sounded like you had to over-exaggerate how you were feeling so that they would see this and see you and hear you and, and address it. Yeah, I, get, I just got so good at wearing the mask. Um, and, and as I got, it was almost an uh, inverse relationship. As I got better at faking being happy I was feeling worse and worse inside and I remember uh, it was kind of once it was starting to get to a, a point that was kind of very very hard to deal with I put up a, 
AOL instant messenger away message that was, you know, it could have been because back in, in those days, it was just popular to put up song lyrics uh, as your away message. So it could have been just portrayed as a, like, you know, quote, teenage at angst. But one of my friends uh, messaged me while I was away and he said, hey, I just read your away message and uh, I've, I'm currently experiencing depression and you kind of sound depressed. And so I started thinking on that and then I started you know, and that's when I kind of made the decision that I would, I was still going to wear the mask in front of my friends and at school, but at home, I was going to start making it more clear that I wasn't feeling okay internally. So one day, and I remember it very clearly, I just was kind of dragging myself around the house and I flopped down quite literally on this recliner in my parents' living room and uh, just let out this massive sigh. Like I, I was, I would not have won any Oscars for this performance because it was very <laughs> over the top. Um, but it, it, it got the job done. Uh, my mom said, "Hey, uh, do you want to do you want to go talk to a therapist?" And we already had a therapist uh, who had my brother was um, borderline on the spectrum growing up, so we had a he had like an occupational therapist for a little bit. Um, and a therapist just for social skills. And so we already had a connection. Um, and I know she had worked well with him. So I said, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd like to go talk to her. And that's, that was the first time that I had outwardly admitted and asked for help. That's really cool. I, I think it speaks volumes really that you knew you needed help at, at this point and still it's difficult to actually ask for that help, right? You kind of had to put on an act so that they would approach you and say, hey, how about seeing somebody? Right. I think it all stems from, I'm, I'm the firstborn and I was in the gifted program um, and I always like to be seen and still continue to like to be seen as a very independent person. It's, it's very hard for me to ask for help, whether it was, I mean, I think this was after the whole depression episode in high school. I was like failing chemistry and I didn't want to ask for help, even though my dad is an engineer. And so he understands that science stuff. I didn't want to ask for help. I played it off as I was just goofing off in class. And then I would, I basically retaught myself chemistry because I didn't want to ask for help. Um, I know I still don't understand chemistry to this day, but I passed the class. Um, (laughs) But, and I think that's, it's kind of a silly example, but it, um, it kind of illustrates how, if I can't ask for help on something silly, like figuring out how many atoms are in each molecule, it would be very hard ask to ask for mental health help at that time. Right. So your mom, uh, brought up the topic of a therapist. Sounds like you were just itching for her to bring that up. And then how quickly did you start to see a therapist and what was that like as a sophomore or junior in high school leaving uh, and meeting with a therapist for the first time? Yeah, so I I don't necessarily remember too much about the initial meetings with her, um, but I remember just it was very awkward the first couple times because it, it was a stranger to me. Um, right you know, stranger danger, you're not supposed to talk to strangers. Um, and here I was about to like reveal some stuff that I hadn't talked to anybody about. Uh, but I, then I found that that actually helped be very helpful in, 
uh, regards to that she was an objective person. She didn't know my story. I, she, I was basically, she was a clean slate to me. I was a clean slate to her. And the, the, the thing I do remember most, and I kind of touched on this earlier, is just kind of covering to my friends why I was leaving school you know, once or twice a week, or there was one time where I left just um, when I eventually got on the meds and I did not react to the meds well at first. I, um, I left school early every day of the school week um, to go talk to her. And it was, I, again, I didn't want to tell anybody uh, where I was going, what I was doing. I just kind of played it off as, oh, yeah, um, I had some issues with like my legs and my knees from being a cross country runner um and just general maladies like that and so i kind of played it off like that um didn't really make sense because i wasn't actually on the cross country team at that point but i guess <laughs> high schoolers aren't the most uh smartest in the in the world but those those are the things that i remember is it was really awkward at first but then I really did end up opening up to her a lot. And um, that's that's what really, you know, helped us move along through the process. It's really interesting. You know, I think even as adults, there are many people that I meet that are very hesitant to talk about meeting with a therapist. And I think there's still a pretty hefty stigma. And it may differ throughout different parts of the U.S., I know some people I've met from the East Coast say, oh, it's like you go to the gym. Everybody's got a therapist. Everybody goes. That has not been my experience. And in fact, somebody recently um, was with me and and very hesitantly said, well, well, I'll tell you. Kind of like I'm not going to tell anybody, but I know you'll relate. And just shared that he was seeing a therapist. And like it made no difference to me at all. I thought that was great, really, you know, but... Um, I think the stigma is still there and it can be challenging. And I would imagine in high school, um, depending on your group of friends, and maybe it's a little bit different now, but at that time when you were in high school, I would imagine that was really tough to, and then you have to deal with hiding it, right? And you were wearing this mask. And I think all of that takes so much energy too, especially while you're not mentally healthy. Yeah, I mean, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. It was it was very draining, um, and to do all that, and I, you know, when when I wrote the piece on your blog and I posted it on Facebook, I, some people from high school commented and said stuff to the effect that you know they had no idea that this was going on um, at the time. So, you know, being I must have been like sixteen, seventeen, somewhere, in, you know, mid teens, this going on. And it's not something you expect to deal with, um, which again, it's also, you don't expect to deal with cancer when you're 25. Right. Uh, so that's like, should be the name of my memoir at this point. Um, but you know, it, it, it was very tough and, you know, luckily I had enough rational thought in my head to realize, Hey, you, this is becoming too much for you to handle as a teenager. You need to seek help and you know i um i i'm getting ahead of myself here a little bit but i'm going through after being a cleared from cancer i'm still kind of experiencing um feelings of depression and i i went to a therapist for a couple months or maybe closer to a couple weeks but i i didn't find it as helpful this time because uh 
a lot of my de- feelings of depression stem from, you know, experience, having a new normal in being a cancer survivor. And the, well, first of all, the, the therapist that I was seeing was a woman. So she physically couldn't have had testicular cancer unless there was something I didn't know. Um, and then also f- it was hard, like, I, I, that's one thing I still mean to keep doing is find a therapist for now, but it also has to be someone who is a ther like a licensed therapist, but also is a cancer survivor. And you can't quite type that into Google and hope for that to come up. Um, so it, it's, it's interesting in how therapy in high school was very, very helpful, but that was this, that was all. And now it, it was helpful, but a lot of the anxiety that I feel is relate and depression is related to cancer, but it wasn't something I could regularly talk about on, you know, on a Wednesday at five thirty PM. Um, so I totally went way off on a tangent there. No, that's um, all right. I think an, a really important point that I'd like to pull out of that is that it is really important to be able to click with your therapist, to be able to get along with them. And, you know, to have a therapist who has gone through a similar experience, I think is, is not a lot to ask at all. It may be difficult to find, but it mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense to me, particularly even if it's just going from a, a female therapist to a male therapist, somebody who actually has testicles. And, and although they can't relate if they haven't been through cancer, at least they understand the masculinity piece of the testicles and so forth. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense to me. I was just talking to somebody about how once I was much better mentally, um, my therapist quit his practice and I needed a new therapist. I wanted a new therapist, even though I was healthy so that I could find somebody who I click with before I really need somebody and they could hear my story and such. And I laid out, you know, this was probably my fourth psychologist fourth or fifth so I mean I was very direct and and it became my first session kind of became an interview of him because I wanted to make sure we were the right fit and I I told him you know I understand that you may not want to answer this question and it's very personal and if you don't want to answer I'm not offended at all but I'm curious if you've been through major depression yourself and uh, he shared quite a bit (laughs) more than I was expecting Um, but that was a piece that I felt was important because, and I've said it before, I think therapists um, can be an immense help. And even if they have not been through depression, I think they can be an incredible help. So I don't mean to downplay that at all, but I don't think they can understand what it feels like to be in a major depression unless they've been there. Right. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean they can't do good work, but they just cannot understand that feeling. Right. And that's, that's the big thing is, um, and I don't recall in in my high school episode, if I had ever directly asked that question, but in high school, my immediate concern was, you know, the primary thing was the severe depression that I was feeling versus now it's dealing with the aftermath of cancer. And so, you know, cancer is still like the primary and the depression is kind of secondary. And so I need to connect with someone on the cancer level before I can connect with them on the depression level. And so, but I I love hearing that you, you, you know, finding a therapist now before you need it. Um, that's, you know, being proactive instead of reactive. And I think that's a hugely 
uh, important. Right. So you mentioned, you just touched briefly on the fact that while you were in high school, you were seeing this therapist and you started some medication? Yeah. Uh, so after I um, was talking with a therapist for a while, um, I finally revealed to her that I was engaging in some self-harm, uh, which that was that took, I, I remember I couldn't actually even verbally tell her that. I wrote her a letter and just let her read that. And, uh, she, that kind of was a catalyst, a uh, turning point, if you will, of uh, when she started recommending I meet with my pediatrician because she was a psychologist as opposed to a psychiatrist. So we had to then get my uh, pediatrician on board. And he, um, he said, you know, yeah, let's, let's try putting you on antidepressants. And at first, um, they were disastrous. Uh, We tried to taper me on too fast, uh, too high of a dose. I think that was a call between the psychologist and the doctor trying to prevent any self-harm or uh, feelings of suicide becoming stronger. So they wanted to get me on a higher dose. And I ended up having like a, a very major panic attack uh, where my uh, my mom, the one night, told me to go to sleep. And I wanted like five more minutes on the internet, which is a, such a millennial thing to say. <laughs> and, um, and I said, no, I want five more minutes. And she said, I'm going to go unplug the router. Um, and that, for whatever reason, just made me freak out. And I like slammed my bedroom door and locked it. Um, and then I just started hyperventilating and to the point where I couldn't even physically breathe. Um, and so my dad, like in my mind, my dad, like, you know, Chuck Norris kicked down the door. I'm sure he probably just, we just had like the push button lock. So he probably just put like a paperclip in there, but (laughs) it's, it's more impressive in my mind to think he kicked down this door. Um, so he like opened the door and took me outside. This was, you know, 10 o'clock at night till I got, um, fresh air and they called, I think they, I don't know if they called like emergency services or like the after hours call for my doctor and they brought down my dose and kept me on that for a couple weeks. And then they brought me back up to where I had the panic attack. And that's when I had to go to seeing the therapist or the doctor every single day. And luckily that second taper uh, up worked and I, I stayed on the meds for, Oh, I don't somewhere between 12 to 18 months um, until I felt like I was getting a, a handle on everything and I could start tapering off them. And I was very apprehensive on the taper off because I knew I could remember what life was like before going on the meds and I could remember tapering on how that blew up in my face. Um, but luckily tapering off was was uneventful. I, I don't have a a story of my dad kicking down doors um, (laughs) in that case. But um, it was, it was something that was really helpful. And once I kind of learned what exactly the antidepressants do and help balance the serotonin and the dopamine and the other chemical that starts with an N that I can never pronounce. Norepinephrine, I believe. Yes. That one. I, I fun. This is going to be another tangent. I did a whole presentation in college on, depression 
and I mispronounced that one for the entire presentation. <laughs> um, cause I didn't think to like YouTube how to pronounce it, but the, yes. Um, so how the, you know, the meds help balance those levels and help your brain start, uh, producing those if there's a deficit or what have you. And, um, so I, um, I don't, I didn't feel any shame about taking them and I, I currently take them. Um, and I don't feel any shame about taking them or freely admitting that because it's, uh, you know, mental health to me is no different than physical health. If, if you have a broken arm, you're not going to turn down a cast just because there's a stigma against cast. You're going to treat it. Uh, and if you have an imbalance in your head, you're not, you shouldn't turn that down just because there's a perceived stigma about it. Uh, you, you need to treat it. You need to, you know, get it taken care of. And just thinking positive thoughts are, um, I got, I got infuriated one day. I was on Twitter and I saw a tweet that said something to the effect of depressed people don't need, uh, meds. They need running shoes. Um, and I think that's just such a damaging narrative because before going on meds, um, you know, this most recent time I had been going to the gym, I had been running and I've been writing and coping and had a whole bunch of different tools in my toolbox. Um, and if, you know, I was already starting to feel depression, if I would have seen that, that would have just, that, that puts unnecessary shame. And yeah, it's damaging. I think it diminishes the, the severity of depression, right? People who are like, you know, you just have to laugh more or, you, you know, go out and watch a comedy movie. You'll be fine. Like they, I think they mean well from their heart. And the guy who said something about running shoes, you know, there's truth that exercise is helpful, but huh. it's also much more com complex than that. And depre depression can be so much more debilitating than any kind of sadness. Um, and you're right. I think it, it can be very damaging, add to the stigma and the self-shame. Yeah. And it's, it's just uncalled for. It's, you know, it doesn't help move the conversation forward. It just keeps keeping it in the dark. And that's, that's very, that's very damaging and often can be life threatening as well. Right. So you, it sounds like you had one panic attack during the start of your meds. You got your meds adjusted and then you were on them for a year or two to and things went pretty smoothly yeah as far as the um, medication yeah the medication you know yeah. I, was, I was seeing a therapist throughout yeah. um i saw a therapist after coming off the meds too but that you know it was it was the the lead up to it was significantly worse than the actual you know going through the depression itself right so i think just an important piece i'd like to just pull out is that the meds oftentimes do take a period of adjustment, right? And maybe tweaking and the tapering that you mentioned and working through it with your doctor, you know, if there are some bad side effects and, and being verbal and talking about those. And then once the years were adjusted, it, they, it was great for you. So I just think it's important for some people who, you know, might jump on meds or that's a, a, poor way of saying it, but, you know, in consultation with their doctor, take make the difficult decision of going on meds because they may not have wanted to be on them, have a bad experience um, of some type of side effect like your panic attack and your experience, 
and all of a sudden be completely anti-meds, right? But you went through talking with your doctor and making it work for you. So I just, I think that's a really important piece and glad that you stuck with it. Yeah. And I want to touch on another point when I, um, I, I kind of had the opposite effect when I went on meds over, it was around Christmas, this past Christmas, I went on meds and I, I knew I was going to taper on slow because I wanted to avoid a panic attack. And I had been on them for about six weeks and I literally did not feel any different. I didn't feel worse. I didn't feel better. And I, I just communicated that to my doctor um, that I was not feeling any different. I wasn't feeling worse, but I wasn't feeling better. And that was a conversation that I had with the doctor and it ended up paying off because they said, well, let's slowly try to bump you up a little bit more. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's huge too. just being really communicative with your doctor and sharing those pieces. Like you said, you could have gone all along just thinking, Oh, well, it's not doing me much good, but you engaged in that conversation. They were able to tweak it and you got to reap the benefits. Right. And I, th I, th I think a big part of that is having that prior experience uh, from high school, knowing what to expect, knowing that it wasn't going to be, I was going to start the meds one day and, you know, I was going to be pooping unicorns and rainbows the next day. Um, it was, it was going to be a process, but I also knew that it was a process and it would get better at some point and it wasn't getting better. Um, and I think having uh, the going, gone through it in high school allowed me to realize that I was starting to feel uh, effects of depression and catch it much more quickly and early on this time um, before it got to as severe as it had in high school. Yeah, so I want to actually bring us right up to that point. So you made it through the high school period of depression. Then age 25, you were diagnosed with cancer. And you didn't actually, this second bout of depression wasn't, during your diagnosis or even during the chemo period, was it? No, it was when I realized that, or it was literally the day that they told me I was um, in remission. I, um, I, they told me I was in remission and I was thinking like, okay, now I'm, everything's supposed to go back to normal. But, uh, and when I talk to other cancer survivors is you, after you go through cancer, you're never going to go back to normal. You're, you're going to have a new normal, uh, but you're never going to go back to your pre-cancer self. And so I remember feeling off like, oh, I should be really excited. I don't have cancer anymore. I don't have to go through any more treatments, but something was amiss. And for, for a while, I chalked it up to stress of returning to work because I had taken off three months from work. And then I was realizing I was still feeling, you know, irritable and not into different activities and just, you know, kind of a down mood in general constantly. And I realized it was now June and July and I you know, as a teacher, I don't do, I don't teach summer school or anything. So I'm, yeah, I couldn't blame work stress at that point. Um, and so, you know, I, I was, you know, writing on my blog about it and I was being pretty open about how it was being challenging to be being a cancer survivor. And then, 
you know, a new school year started, so I thought it was just stress of a new school year, and then it just never really seemed to start getting better, and kind of dawned on me one day, I, um, I, I was coming up on my scans, and I was like, wow, I'm really, really anxious, and really, really down about these scans, more so than normal, because I always get a little bit of anxiety around my every six-month scans, but this was much more severe than normal, and I, was, and I don't remember what triggered it in my mind, but I realized, you know, I was, I was feeling like this in the beginning in high school, so I, uh, when I went in for my scans, and as soon as the doctor, my oncologist told me that I was in remission, I, I, he said, how are you? And I said, no, I'm good. And he's like, no, really, how are you? Um, and I don't know if the guy reads my blog or if he could just tell it, but I said, you know, I'm, I'm honestly not doing well mentally. Um, and he, he had recommended, um, earlier on to get a therapist and I did try the therapy thing for a while. Um, but it, it, you know, I didn't find it as helpful as it did in high school again, because my issue was dealing with the fallout from cancer. Um, and so I couldn't really connect with my therapists on that level very well. Uh, so my oncologist agreed that we could try me on a course of antidepressants because I knew, you know, barring the panic attack from tapering on in high school, I did respond well to them. Um, so I asked him if that was something that we could try. He said, you know, he, he sees that a lot in cancer survivors, um, which is actually something very curious to me because I, I don't remember the statistics off the top of my head, but it's, it's actually a pretty big problem, or I shouldn't say problem, a pretty big incident rate in cancer survivors. Uh, so much so that when you type in cancer survivors and in Google, it auto fills it with depression. Um, or, and it also fills it with alcohol. Um, but that's another story. Um, but, um, it's, it's something that they don't prepare you for when you're going to cancer university. Um, and so, but I, I really credit having that prior experience in high school as much as that sucked back then. It helped prepare me for this experience and it let me cut, catch it much more early on um, before it got to, you know, as severe as it was in high school. Yeah, I've said before um, very similar thing that just having been through one depression, one of the benefits is that if another one's around the corner, you hopefully you're more attuned to your body, your sensations, your feelings, and see it coming where you can then, you know, grab your tool belt and pull out everything you had learned through your first depression that helped you and start chipping away at it right away. Um, it's also interesting to me because both of your cases of depression, I think, could be described as, I mean, obviously you went through this time of cancer and that must have been so difficult and so challenging. I can't even imagine what that's like. But um, both you mentioned kind of being at a good point, right? You get this great news, remission, like you couldn't have had better news. And high school too, like you had everything going, yet this depression came on you. Yeah, it was... I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head there is in both cases, everything from the outside was great. And I think that's the big thing when I 
try to talk to people about it was there's a marked difference between, you know, depression and feeling depressed. Um, And while they both have the same root word, uh, you know, there was no outside circumstances that were making me feel depressed currently. It was just, uh, I, I was just overwhelmed with things. And it is very interesting is, you know, and I, that was the only thing that I might have felt. Shame's not the best word, but for lack of a better word, I'm going to use shame. Um, that you know, I no longer have to fight cancer. Uh, I, I shouldn't be, you know, down about it. But I, I still was, and it's important and valid to recognize that that um, you know the the cancer fight doesn't. The physical fight doesn't mean it's over. You just, you start a different type of fight. Right. So you're on an antidepressant. Are you still, you're, and you left the therapist? Yeah, I left the therapist before I had started on the antidepressant. I know that's something I need. I've, it's been on, I know it's going to sound like I'm just making excuses, but like I said, I, I, I want to get back into therapy, but it's got to be someone that I can connect with, um, and I, I really do feel strongly about I want to be connected with a therapist who has gone through, doesn't have to even be testicular cancer, just any form of cancer. But I'd also like for it to, um, you know, be a, a, a male, uh, if possible. But, you know, typing in male cancer survivor therapist, Fredericksburg, Virginia, isn't going to re- return a lot of responses. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Hey, let's move on. I want to hear more about what you are doing uh, in the world of advocacy. You have a website, a ballsy sense of tumor.com. You've got some hilarious posts there as well and incredibly informative. But share with us uh, what you're doing currently with your advocacy work. Yeah, so my biggest project that I... And this will be a little sneak peek because I haven't gone 100% public with this yet, um, but I'm getting ready to. Um, I, uh, I, so as a fourth grade teacher, which is what I, I was a fourth grade teacher for the past five years, and I'm changing roles now this year to my current role as an educational technology coach. Um, one of the things that I always dreaded was the your body is changing talks at the end of the school year. Um, and so last year I got to thinking, you know, in the health curriculum, in the high school grades, do they talk about self-exams? So I did some research and I found that it's only mandated in, uh, I believe it's ninth grade. So I reached out to the Department of Education in Virginia and I said, hey, you know, I'd love to work with something to, um, you know, change this, make it part of the mandated curriculum across all high school grades. And they said, okay, Justin, um, make a video, like a PSA type deal. And so it, over the course of um, well, pretty much a whole year, because I was teaching full time and doing other advocacy work on the same time, I wrote a script. I got it approved by the state. I've got high school students to help film it and edit it. And so finally in the, um, the beginning of this June, I finally got the final cut. And then yesterday, actually... I presented it um, at the uh, an event that the Department of Education helped sponsor and plan. And so from here, 
the video is going to be posted on kind of a online lesson plan depository uh, for uh, health educators throughout the state of Virginia to be able to use in their classroom. And I, I like the video a lot, not just because I made it, but I um, it, in, I talked through my story. I got a, a person who was a junior in high school when he was going through testicular cancer to share his story. I share some statistics here and there throughout. I talk about, or there's a part with a self or how to do a self exam, but it's without using like an actual guy, it's using cartoon images, um, which I think is more appealing to high school guys and having to look at the physical package being examined. Um, and so that's, that's been a, a project I've been working on for about a year and it's, it's great to see that it's finally coming into, and I'm, I'm hoping that we can get it posted and, you know, then individual school districts can approve it as part of their curriculum. And then, you know, unless 2018, 2019 or the 2019, 2020 school year, it starts becoming uh, like a, a common part of the curriculum. And then, you know, we, we start educating men when they're in high school and hopefully they, um, you know, educate their friends who may not have seen the video, so on and so forth. Um, so that's that's one of the things I've really been doing with advocacy. That sounds fantastic. So that I just want to clarify that is for use of a teacher to essentially pull up the video, hit play, and then that video would be a part of their health curriculum. Yep, it's a okay. pretty comprehensive. It takes all the the teacher doesn't have to do anything other than pretty much press play. Right. And how long of a video is it? It's about eleven minutes total. Okay. Wow, fantastic. And like you said, that must just feel so good seeing this finally come to fruition after working for so long on it. Yeah, it, it's funny that the shortest amount of time that I put into it was the actual filming. I got it filmed in about an hour and a half on during spring break, but I was working, I was scripting it for like two months and then waiting on approval for another month and then doing making arrangements for uh, getting editing and filming. And then, you know, the editing and filming took a couple weeks. So it, it's, it's really cool to see how it's all come together. Yeah. Well, congratulations on getting to that point. Thank you. And then, uh, you were going to add uh, to some more of the other pieces of advocacy you're doing. Um, just really as, um, the, wherever I get an opportunity to speak and talk to guys directly, the, the survey that we had talked about in the beginning of this interview was a big undertaking that I did. Um, but a lot of the advocacy I do is just incidental on social media. Just, you know, I'll find something that is looks like balls and I'll take a picture with it and I'll post it and the caption will have something about a self-exam. Um, and so the picture kind of engages the audience, but then the caption informs them um so it's 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 a really uh, i've been kind of fine-tuning my approach over the past you know two years that i've been doing this and i found that that you know you kind of it all goes back to i draw them in with humor and then you hit them with information yeah and, i think it's fantastic i know i've seen um several of those pictures they all crack me up um and uh and you have a shot of your license plate as well right yeah, so my license plate, this is a, a funny story, because my license plate says Checkum. Um, and so because I had that I wanted something that was about testicular cancer, but it also had to be something that 
was okay to park in an elementary school parking lot. <laughs> that um, is challenging. Yeah, I, I went through a couple different versions before I finally decided on Chequem. Um, but as fourth graders who are like the most observant human beings in the world when you don't want them to be, um, the one day we were out at recess and the kids were like, Mr. B, which one's your car? And I was like, it's the bluish black one over there. And they're like, well, which one? And I was like, it's the one that the license plate says check them. Like, I didn't really even think like what I was saying to these kids. And they're like, why does your license plate say check them? And I'm like, well, you know, when you're taking a math test and I always ask you if you've like reviewed your work, I always make sure that you check your answers, you know, you check them. <laughs> um, and so it's funny because like parents will come in for a conference or whatever and they'll be like they're like we just love that your license plate just promotes checking their math work and i was like actually not really what's promoting but you know <laughs> in the world of fourth grade that is what it promotes yeah. for everybody older it promotes something different yeah that's fantastic i really wanted to mention too that meeting you at the healthy voice conference you were an inspiration to me and you supported me in creating my own um, survey that I have out currently um, that's really targeted towards educators, K through 12 public school educators and their mental health. So I wanted to thank you because that was one of the huge pieces I walked away from that conference. And that was thanks to meeting you. Oh, well, thank you very much. And I think the work you're doing with that survey, I'm always happy to share it out uh, as much as possible because it's, and if you're listening and you're an educator, find Al's survey because it takes literally 30 seconds and then take the next 30 seconds and do a self-exam and then you've done two good things. Yeah, exactly. So if people want to get to your work, tell them the website. I want to make sure we get it right. Yeah. So if, uh, there's a couple different places to find me. Um, if you, the website's the most comprehensive and it's a ballsy sense of tumor.com, all one word. Um, if you type it into Google, you'll probably find it that way. Um, on Instagram and Facebook, it's a ballsy sense of tumor. Again, all one word. And then on Twitter, it's absot TC. There's two T's in that. Um, and that's, that one doesn't stay quote on brand because a ballsy sense of tumor is too long of a Twitter handle. Apparently hindsight being 2020, I should have checked that a while ago. Um, but, or if you type in Justin Burke, cancer, 15,000 different links are well, not really 15,000 but a, a lot of links are going to pop up or even my email. If you want to reach out directly, um, Justin at a ballsy sense of tumor.com will get you directly to me and then I can help point you in other directions. Perfect. I'm going to put all of that in the description of the show as well. So that uh, with links so they can get directly to you. So the Twitter, you, you know, you made me think of this when you mentioned Twitter um, and it's all over your blog. It's all over all of your work. But can you describe, I'd love to hear you describe this, your, the logo you use. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the logo um, for the first like year of running the website, I didn't have a logo or anything. Um, but then I decided I wanted a logo. And so it had to be something that conveyed that it was testicular cancer related very quickly. So what I did was the logo, and if you're listening, you should get a sketch pad and follow my directions here. Um, it's, it's, it's on a circle, a big black circle. And then I abbreviated a Balti sensor tumor to 
ABSOT, so ABSOT. Now, I took the A and the B, and I made them significantly larger than the S, O, and the T, and I kind of pushed them together, and I extended the, the line of the B. So together, it kind of looks like two testicles with a shaft, um, <laughs> and, you know, it's it, it totally grabs people's attention. Um, I know you have said to me a couple times, um, but, you know, it's... It, kind of when i was um presenting yesterday i had the logo on one of the screens and they're like what is ab and i was like look a little closer <laughs> yeah i think it's fantastic you created it yourself yeah i um i i tried to get some graphic designers to do it but mm, they c couldn't quite get the vision that i was going for so i just made right, myself right Hey, so before we uh, end the interview, I really want to hear from you any types of um, suggestions or words of wisdom or hope for men who might be out there struggling currently. I would say don't don't be afraid to talk to somebody about it. Um, it do, you don't have to be over the top public about it. You can find a close friend. You can reach out to somebody on you know social media uh you can just but talk to somebody you, you don't have to suffer in silence and you you shouldn't and the more people that are talking about the mental health aspect of life is a way that will be able to uh just continue to end the stigma perfect all right. Fantastic. Hey, um, Justin, I want to thank you so much for taking time to be on the Depression Files. I want to thank you for your work. I hope that people listening will check your work out. I think you are bringing light to an incredibly important topic that has been clearly an oversight, as your survey shows. So thank you for your advocacy work. Thank you for bringing humor into it as well. And uh, make sure you stay healthy and keep in touch. Yeah. Thank you for uh, having me on. And I look forward to everybody checking out my work and then checking out their own work. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the depression files. Please know that if you are currently suffering from depression and are experiencing thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help in the United States. You can text to seven, four, one, seven, four, one to connect with a trained crisis counselor, or you can go to suicide.org for a list of international suicide hotlines. If you're a man who has experienced depression and would like to be interviewed for the show, please reach out to me on Twitter at AlLevin18. Thank you again for listening to The Depression Files. <laughs>